0: This is Red Pub Pod, Red, Pod. Red Pub Pod, Pod, a podcast Red Pod from Red, Hog, Red Hog, Hog Publications. Red Pub Pod. Oh. You nailed yeah. it.
1: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And regardless of when you're listening to this newest edition of Red Pub Pod, we thank you for listening. Normally, we have Robert Knipe, our fearless publisher say these words, and I miss him dreadfully, but today he's not here because he's paying authors royalties, so that's a good reason for him not that's to be That's a good there. thing, yes, it is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Keeping them busy. All the authors want that. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. Um, today in the studio, we have our fearless engineer and program director, Richard Eller. Yay. And, of course, myself, Patty Thompson. Of course, Robert calls me the queen of snark, but really, I'm just the acquisition editor with a heart of gold. Um, and today, I'd like to introduce our featured author and our guest, poet, author, Ken Harbert. Hey, Ken.
2: Hey, thank you. So well, nice to be here. Welcome to Red Pub Pod. It's wonderful
1: to be here. Thank you. Um, you know what, Ken? As I was kind of preparing for this pod, it, I kind of went through the files to figure out what exactly did we hear from you, get you on our radar. And from what I could tell... I believe our first discuss- discussion or, or getting together was actually about a year ago, um, because I saw my file was created in September of 2022. So that gets, puts us at about the you know 12 to 13 month. But an important question I have for you is how did you find us?
2: <laughs> well, I've I've seen a number of your books um, locally in. Hickory, and also I heard about you, and of course, um, having a research background too, I researched a little bit, and I've always been interested in the community college here simply because I graduated from a community college a few thousand years ago, and um, I was amazed when I heard you actually had a really firm publishing company, and you had produced so many different things. In so many different varieties
1: that I felt like I had to come over and meet you. That's awesome, and and I should point out when we talked, um, I, I remember and and I know we'll get into this, but you know, with your healthcare background, you had mentioned things that you might want to do with with your healthcare writing, but more importantly, I heard you mention something about poetry, and we kind of went in that direction, which leads us to the publication of your book entitled Our Paths in Life poems by Ken Harbert. Of course, you can buy that on RedHawkPublications.com. And it's been quite a journey. How, How did you enjoy the process, or hate the process, of going through your poems and getting them published?
2: I really found it interesting and insightful because I've been writing poetry, I think, ever since... Oh, I came back from the service when I was overseas about 50 years ago. And some of those poems are good, bad, and relate different phases of not only my life, but people I've known and places that I've been. And it was interesting to be able to, once again, not only review them, sometimes rewrite them, but also I'm I'm a visual writer, so when I write, I see things. And to me, it was a wonderful trip. It was just not only down memory lane for the good parts, but also realizing some of the bad parts. But understanding that my feelings, my thoughts, my words kind of uh, relate how I feel about things and who I've met and some of the wonderful people I've been in in contact with in my life and um, in different places of the world and and uh, have seen things in different places of the world, and they all brought, um, to me, a vision, and then that went on paper. So that's how that came about.
1: And, and I will say, and I think this is important for listeners to know, sometimes poets will talk about what they know, what they see. I find your particular poetry collection to be about the journey of your life, and it really is And you know, hence the title, Our Paths in Life, I think it will be interesting for our listeners to know a little bit about your background because of course that has a lot of bearing on your journey, which is unique um, Would you mind sharing with us where you're from um and and your 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 background your career path if you will well that's an itch- mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> um, I guess I use the title of our path in life because my path has been very crooked and very different um I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I wasn't a great high school student. Um, I joined the service. I actually volunteered for the Navy. Uh, I went to college a little bit before that and I joined the United States Navy. I became a Navy corpsman. I served in Vietnam. Um, I came back from Vietnam. I went to a community college, much like this community college, which was wonderful. Um, I had a phenomenal English literature professor, and she was the one that really got me to write feelings down and thoughts down, and that was the beginning of my real writing. Um, I went from there to nursing school, of all things, and then I left nursing school, and then I went to um, physician assistant school, and that was uh, kind of part of my path. I'm a lifelong learner, and I think community college really Embedded me with that, the idea that I could learn outside of a high school environment, that I could learn about what I really felt uh, was important, and that was caring for people and taking care of people. I trained some of the first uh, paramedics in the United States in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I went on to do more teaching. I taught when I was in the Marine Corps and the Navy. Um, then I um, went on to work in a number of different areas in medicine. Um, As a physician assistant, I was able to start out in something I knew nothing about, which was psychiatry. I did that at the University of Pittsburgh, which really taught me about how people behave. I had a, a lot of experience in the service in trauma and emergency medicine, but I wanted to learn how people got there, how people became who they were and how they did good things, bad things, or just bad things happened to them. And psychiatry helped me understand that and appreciate that. And I went on and got a master's degree uh, while I was in the service, and then I ended up getting a Ph.D. at Penn State University. And I chose medical education because that was the interest that I had at that time. Um, I also worked on a trauma team. I worked in primary care. I worked in disaster medicine. I joined a medical reserve corps. I was involved in critical and stress management. So I've done a lot of different things both as a physician assistant uh, and also as a officer in the uh, military. So I was in the reserves for a long time, in the Coast Guard reserves and in the public health, and uh, that really helped me understand more about how we do care for people, but more importantly, how our health care system works.
0: So is psychology the link between medicine and poetry for you?
2: Ooh, in great. some ways, yes. That's a very insightful thing. I think that... Um, Psychiatry, psychology really taught me what cognitive or thinking is all about, cogn- the way we function, but then also the affective or how we feel is important. So we always think before we feel in my mind. And I learned more about how we think um, than I had ever learned before when I was in psychology and psychiatry. And um, I had some incredible mentors uh, in psychology – both in critical incident stress and also in debriefing and also in disaster medicine, which was crucial because, unfortunately, I think we don't put enough emphasis into mental health simply because people are confused by what it really means and what it does and what it offers. And um, during a disaster or an emergency situation, a critical incident, it's very interesting and crucial and essential to make sure that people are stable and they understand they've gone through an experience that very few people go through, and they need to know how to come out on the other side of that. Um, my my team of people that I worked with went to 9-11. And they were there for three months. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to New York because I was sick, um, but they did a phenomenal job. Um, they were there for... You know, a couple of months by them by themselves as as uh, responders, they were law for, law enforcement officers, uh, paramedics, um, counselors, social workers, and physician assistants that were there offering counseling services to those people during nine eleven. Um, I was also involved in Katrina, and Katrina, I was with the Medical Reserve Corps, and um, there again, you see people at their worst, but you also see amazing thing that people are resilient and they will survive you need to help them and I think that's important but I go back to what you said yes psychology really gave me insight to myself how I feel how I think but more importantly how I react to people Uh, I think I always assumed the people acted the way they did without really having a better understanding of what's behind that or what's in front of that or how did that happen that makes sense. And what
0: about poetry? Is poetry therapeutic for you, or do you think it can be for people?
2: I think it's tremendously therapeutic. I mean, where did I come, where did I start reading poetry? You know, I hate to say this, but in high school, you read poetry like Wadsworth and everything else. And I read Tennyson, and I love Tennyson, the Iliad especially. But the issue is, I felt that I had a rhyme and I had have it had ahead of a certain approach, and I was never able to do that. And then, when I was stationed in San Francisco, I met uh, the people at the City of Lights in Lawrence Ferenghetti's uh, bookstore in San Francisco, and it was it was an aha because I realized that. Poetry is really what comes from inside or what you're thinking about something or what you're feeling about something or what you see or what you appreciate. So, again, that connected with the psychological aspects of what you mentioned and how I kind of have a worldview. And um, I find that when I write, the nicest thing that I hear from some people is, wow, I really like that because I know what that means. I know how that feels. Uh, I've been there. And to me, that's an incredible feeling. I mean, amazing feeling in a lot of ways because that means there's someone else out there that understands my words. And to me, my poetry are words that are inside me and, and around me and, and come through me.
0: So it sounds like poetry is a way that you can express things in a way that you can't express. I mean, there is no other way to express it because it gets to something very, very basic for for you and for other people who read it.
2: That's true, and it, and as I mentioned before, I think it's weird that I visualize. I mean, I, I I've talked to musicians and they talk to me about visualizing their notes and what they're what they're writing, and I I actually. I mean, I'll be talking to you, I find out more about you, and all of a sudden I'm kind of seeing words that really mean who you are or how our interaction or an aha that you gave me that I'd never thought about. And those are words that I end up writing. And sometimes I'll be writing, and I'm sure other poets do this, I'll be writing down the road and I'll go, wow, you know. I mean, I yesterday I heard a Simon and Garfunkel song, uh, song that – took me back to living in California and San Francisco, and I, I had to stop the car and write a few notes because it was that memory that brought back some other thoughts about other folks, that it, makes sense.
1: It's funny you should say that. This past weekend, Red Hawk Publications, located at uh, Hickory, North Carolina, as a part of Catawba Valley Community College, this past weekend we had a book fair, and we had a number of our authors that were represented and one of which was Scott Owens, who, was, who we've published, and, and he's a prolific poet. He was writing a poem at the book fair. And I saw him actually, he had a, a, a tagline that he heard somebody say something, and he wrote it down, and I saw him writing a poem.
0: Because it can come at the funniest times, right? I mean, not, not the most convenient times, let's put it that way.
2: Yes, and I think, I mean, I've in my profession, I've written a lot of professional articles a few chapters in textbooks, a few ch- textbooks, et cetera. And that's something that's not spontaneous. That is something that you really need to have a timeline and you really know, go, go for it. I've never been that way with my poetry. My poetry is exactly what you're expressing. It comes to me in different ways. And as you know, as we're talking about, as Patty mentioned too, it might just be something that somebody says that clicks in my brain cells, um, which helps me get a little meaning for something different. I used to love a Japanese poet by the name of Bao, and, um, you know, I, it, Leonard Cohen, I, I, I realize I think is a lot like that. A lot of his poetry that he wrote, he, he kind of took from other situations in his life and about people that he knew and he met, and I... I find that in a lot of songs that I love. I love, you know, people like, um, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, uh, Gordon Lightfoot. um, Harry Chapin, I think, was a troubadour incredible. And I saw him in concert once. And, I I mean, his words to me made made me see visions. And I've always wondered, how did he do that? How did he come up with that? How did did he find that expression or that experience or or those thoughts. And um, sometimes, um, you know, and and again, I would would tell everybody that we all write and we all keep journals and we all write little notes. And they mean a lot. And sometimes we don't realize what they mean until we go back and read them.
0: And if we don't, we let them flit away and we may never get those back.
2: Uh, It's, I mean, that is so, what you just said is so true. It's like, I can't tell you how many poems <laughs> I've thought of that have floated away and I thought I should have written that down. Um it just uh it, it's it's amazing how our minds work and how our our brains work. I um I've worked with a lot of people who have trauma and trauma events and post traumatic stress disorders and traumatic traumatic brain injuries and you realize that the mind is an amazing thing, but at the same time, there are a lot of things happening up there that we're not aware of. And there's a lot of blockages, and there's a lot of openings. It just depends on um, wh- how open we are to things and how it, that information goes in and comes out through our limping system.
1: There's a question um, that pops into my mind, thinking about the uh, the book fair this past weekend. We, The gift of writing to heal, or at least help the healing process, you were near a gentleman who represented the veterans. Um, we had a group of North Carolina veterans that put together an anthology of sorts, and it's called Brother and Sisters Like These. Brothers and Sisters Like These, yeah. Yeah, and I believe that collective, that group that gets together of the, the veterans in our state, um, that book becomes a cathartic experience of writing. We also had Exodus House there, and we helped some of their residents, um, you know, post, well, they're always in recovery, but it's post-addiction, they did a collection of books, and it helps them, again, getting those words on paper, it doesn't have to be a poem, anything that helps you try to heal through words. Is that something you would have recommended or have recommended to your patients to journal, to write? Is that something?
2: Of course. I mean, in in speaking about traumatic events or or trauma, uh, that's one of the first things um, if you look at cognitive behavioral therapy, or the, the idea of what is your self-talk, what is your thinking really lean, lean you to, that's one of the most important things I think for anybody who's going through any pro- issues or problems or any recovery. Um, if you look at veterans' poetry, uh, my favorite were Wilfred Owen's, who po- wrote poetry back in World War One, Siegfeld Sassoon, who wrote poetry way, way back in World War I. Um, these men and women today have written so many incredible things. One friend of mine, Linda Vander, is no longer with us, who was one of the first Vietnam veteran, Vietnam nurses to really write about her experiences in the war. That was tremendously cathartic for her because she was able to put everything down on paper in her book. Home Before Morning, which was really about her experiences, good and bad and ugly. And it helped her a lot to move into a therapeutic kind of environment. So I I agree with you 100%. And I only wish, as Richard was pointing out, that I had written more um, because there were times when I think I could have reached a little deeper. Does that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. You know, but what's fascinating about you is, I, I coming into this, I was thinking that as a, a PA and writing poetry, those are two very, or we think of them as being very, very separate enterprises. But the way you've described it, it it's a, it's a fluid thing back and forth between the two, right? I mean, much more so than I would have ever considered.
2: Well, very few people really look in depth and. The name physician assistant is kind of misleading because, and I say this as both an educator and a clinician, we're trained in a medical model. A lot of medical schools today are three years long. That's undergraduate medical education. And most PA programs are two and a half years long. And that educational format is is formed on a curriculum similar to what medical schools like. And most most of our PAs in the United States are trained to communicate better with, with patients. And that's something we learned from day one. And that means not using medical terms that really try to be patient-centered. You know, Carl Rogers talked about that a thousand years ago, um, about the true nature of walking in someone else's moccasins, understanding what's that patient going through. Rather than assuming they're just a disease, find out more about them. And PA uh, physician assistants in the United States take behavioral medicine. They, go, they have to take a clinical rotation where they do behavioral medicine or psychiatry or psychology, not psychology, psychiatry or behavioral medicine. Um, and so you do get an insight into how people think, how, how people act how mental illness affects people and how they relate to it and how you can help them. And it's not just about, I mean, there's lots of drugs out there. It's not just about pharmacology. It's about having someone who can guide you, which is, again, our path in life. I mean, I owe my experiences and my being here today talking to you to a lot of people who were able to say, hey, think about this, think about that, do this. Why don't you go ahead and get a master's? Why don't you go ahead and get a doctorate? Um, why don't you think about working in this field versus that field? Um, I was a hospitalist for a while, and, and basically an opportunity came up for me to get an academia, and I grabbed that. At that, And it was it was a life-changing experience because as a lifelong learner, I felt, if I can help somebody else, that's even better. And one of, one of the things I feel good about is... One college allowed me to start a vet-up program, so I had a bridging program for people who were medics and corpsmen in the military, much like I was, and then they could go on and become PAs, and then they could go on and take care of others. Um, and that, to me, was a legacy for me. It was it was very important in my life, and I never thought I could do that. and never thought I would have that opportunity until I... Found one school that allowed me to do that. It was just the idea that they said, Yeah, it's a great idea. Why don't you try that? What school was that? I'm just curious. It was South College in Tennessee. Oh, okay. And they have a number of PA programs now. And uh, they, the president there gave me the opportunity to try that, which was a little bit out of the ordinary because. We were able to start a bridge for men and women who were veterans to go on and become physician assistants.
1: And I think that was the thing I remembered when I first met you. It was my aha moment because I love my PAs and my NPs. I just do. Um, They spend more time with me, quality time, and I I have a relationship with them that I've never had with, with MDs. But that said, I recall you saying, correct me if I'm wrong, had it not been for the, the medic corps, we would not have a, a physician's assistance uh, as we know it. Because these men and women were coming back from the war, Vietnam, and they had these significant training in healthcare, but there was nothing they could do. They weren't quite nurses, they weren't quite doctors, but they were darn well equipped. And it was because of you, Ken, that you created, you created a pathway. For those medic corps folks to now have a career that's now open to to anybody, not just folks uh, from the from the um, the military services. So thank you.
2: Well, I, listen, I'm just one of many. There are a lot of people out there who did similar kind of things, and i um, i look I look back in the 70s and the 80s, and there were a lot of Vietnam veterans, men and women, who became physician assistants who had. Taking care of a lot of individuals in a lot of different ways, um, you know. Uh, Dr. Richard Smith, an Afro-American at University of Washington in the Northwest, started his medics program or a PA program with ex-Special Forces um, military personnel who had, did wonderful jobs. They spent some. Some of those graduates spent 35 years working with the same physician in the rural parts of the Northwest. Dr. Gene Stead started the first PA program at Duke University with three ex-Navy corpsmen. And uh, that led to a pipeline that allowed a lot of other veterans to go. I think that's one of the things we're missing today. I would love to see medical schools, nurse practitioner schools, PA programs, create that kind of bridge, that pathway that would allow medics, corpsmen, men, an enormous amount of women to be able to continue their education and provide care. And there's no one better than those individuals who want to take care of somebody, they're compassionate, they understand the worst of the worst, and they're willing to learn more.
0: And here we had a PA program for a short period of time at the community college level that I thought made a lot of sense, but for whatever reason it it didn't it didn't stay.
2: Well, it, the interesting thing is we like nurse practitioners. I've also been involved with nurse practitioners, and I want to say They're phenomenal, too, and so are physicians. I've trained PAs, NPs, and MDs and DOs. So I feel I can say that there's not one field out there better than another. Physicians, MDs and DOs, they spend a lot longer in their education, plus their internship and their residency, more of the residency these days. NPs and PAs do not spend that much longer in residencies. But to go back to what you said, you know, degree creep, came into play. And basically when PAs first started, their programs were a certificate, nurse practitioner programs were not graduate programs, and slowly became baccalaureate programs and graduate programs. Now everybody is kind of moving toward doctorates, doctorates of nurse practitioner, doctorates of medical science for PAs. So it's just the way things have turned out. And um, it's just that kind of advance again, because not only science has changed, but also medical education has changed. Interesting. But that doesn't mean, by the way, that this program, community college program, was any different than any other program out there. It just meant that the career careers had changed. There, t- today, there are still programs that were based on community colleges. Essex Community College in Baltimore was a community college, and now is combined with a master's program, so they get an associate degree, then they go on and get a bachelor's degree and a
1: master's degree. It's a
2: nice pipeline.
1: I actually saw one of the, I guess he's grandfathered, um, a Catawba Valley Community College PA from way back in the day. He got his two-year degree, and he is a PA, and you don't find those anymore, Um, but he was it was interesting that he was so proud of what he got here, and he introduced me to two others that I've since met. Um, so, yeah, we have an interesting legacy right here at our community college of what we were able to do, and some of those PAs are still around and practicing.
0: We produced a few unicorns. Yeah. People <laughs> yeah. that you don't have. Got to watch
2: out for the unicorns because— they still have to pass national boards, and I know two of those people, and they've done a phenomenal job in their careers.
0: Huh. That's, awesome. oh, that's
2: great. And,
1: and let's not forget, Ken is a poet, and I'm going to ask you to read a poem, Ken. <laughs> it usually doesn't take us this long to get into having... i uh, not. No, No, because this has all been really fascinating, and I know not only is this going to appeal to our listeners who like to hear our authors, but I have a feeling we're going to get some health care and medical care folks that are going to listen to this, because... They're going to maybe tune into the poetry that's inside themselves. So, I'm going to ask you, if you don't mind, read a poem that's maybe your favorite or something that people have asked you to explain or it resonates with with your readers. Is there anything there that you might want to read? If it's okay with you, I'd like to read two. Please, please do.
2: Both of these are important to me. Um, This one is called He Keeps On Trying. He Gave Up Trying. When he watched his grandmother die in an oxygen tent within the crowded living tomb of a poor hospital ward, he gave up trying. When his mother died after a third heart operation, he gave up trying. When he listened to his brother's final change strokes, breathing, ending his struggle with AIDS, he gave up trying. To surrender himself with the peacefulness of knowing and accepting a higher power, he gave up trying. To remember the intensity of spiritualness, openness of innocence he held once as a young older boy filled with hope and belief, he gave up trying. To focus on the centered calmness of self he found alone so high in the clear, clean Rocky Mountains of the 1970s, he gave up trying. To understand the loss of friends and family he suffered through human tragedy, war, disease, stress, and lack of hope. He keeps on trying to find and be the humanist he feels deep down in his inner soul. He keeps on trying. God keeps on laughing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all about accepting the things that we cannot know.
2: And I'd like to read one other, if I may. Please do. And I'd Thank like you. to just dedicate this to all those veterans out there who aren't with us today. Will you remember my name? Will you remember my name or just my loss? Your brother, sister, father, son, lover. I was there for you, for country, for others. Doing what I could, never perfect, being the best that I could be. Will you remember my name? Have you said it out loud lately? Does my picture sit on the nightstand? Don't worry, I'm always there. Will you remember my name? Laughing, loving, happy and full of life, knowing you were the life of my life, will you remember my name? So think of my service to you, to others, to my mates. Let that thought linger just for a while, today and tomorrow. Just remember
1: my name. It's powerful. Uh, that's very powerful. Uh,
2: I just I wrote that after Going to a funeral for a friend of mine, it was just um, very powerful for me because I hadn't, I hadn't heard his name in a while. And it was like, you know, what happens to people that we've lost? Have we ever really mentioned their name? And uh, I think that's important. Can I read
1: one more? I wish you would. Thank you.
2: This is also important to me. It's called The Art of Medicine. My art is medicine, my business is caring. Many start it. Many find it science, forgetting about its people. Only a few get its true art. It's more than just caring. It's more than doing. It's being in the patient's moment. Carl Rogers called it centered. Some get it. Some never will. They try. They fail. They just do the job. Never being an active participant in caring. Service, not advocacy. Forgetting it's not for them, but it's always been an art. People care.
0: That clocks it. That clocks it pretty good. It really it does. Is. Now, let me ask you, you, you were talking about uh, pulling over and writing down some stuff. How do you write? Do you write by inspiration or do you sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do something today? Or do you take that inspiration you got when you pulled off the road and wrote it down and then at a designated time finish it up? How does that, how does that work? Or does it does it work by any specific means? Is it different every time?
2: I think that's a really good question. I think, for me, it's a little different. I've always carried always carried a notebook, not a journal, a notebook. Um, either prof, you know, professionally, when you're in clinical medicine. Now, today, we all have computers, and we always do things. But I got so used to before we had computers to carry a notebook for. Things I'd never seen, or patients I came in contact with that I wanted to learn more about, or when I was doing rounds with a physician, or with a group of physicians, or a group of providers, you'd hear something, you'd write it down, and you'd want to know more about it. Um, so today, I do kind of the same thing, only it's about poetry. I carry a, a very small book uh, that I carry everywhere I go, and uh, even on planes or whatever. I'll write something down that just hits me or strikes me or that I see or someone that I met or someplace that I go to. Recently, I went back to Pittsburgh and wrote a poem on top of a mountain just looking down at the city. And I wrote a couple of words and I'll go back and I'll just add some more words and some more words. And that's how things come to me. Um, It starts with uh, a small visual in my mind and then I keep writing on it and adding to it.
0: So, are that how, is that how the the poems from your current book came about?
1: And, and if you don't mind, I'm going to add to that one. How old would you say some of the oldest poems are in this collection?
2: Uh, the oldest poems, the oldest first first things, the oldest poems were written in the '70s when I came back from Vietnam. Some of those um, express some sadness and express some loss and express the adjustment I think that every veteran goes through. It doesn't matter if it's Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, wherever. It's and you hear you read it in World War II, you read it in Korea. All of us when we come back to this world, back in the world, we we try to adjust because we've been in a different place, in a different air, in a different way, are surrounded by a different environment. Sometimes our heads are on swivels, sometimes we don't know if we're safe or secure. And um, that's 24-7. That just doesn't happen eh, five or six hours. So when you come back, you have that issue of adjustment. For some people, they can't get through that adjustment, and it goes on and causes other problems, Um, post-traumatic stress maybe, or stress that later leads to other problems. But um, for me, these poems date back probably to the 70s, some of them. Um, And they traveled with me through my path, um, through my life, um, and meeting people and going places. Um, I had the opportunity to sail halfway around the world once with the United States Coast Guard, and I wrote a lot of poems about different kinds of places, South America, Asia, and other places. And, um, you know, it's just, you get off a plane in in a strange place, and you go, wow. You go to a place like Laos or Vietnam, and you go, holy mackerel. It's just amazing because you've never seen that. Your worldview changes. This isn't Pittsburgh anymore. This isn't Pittsburgh anymore. <laughs> and that's the amazing thing about life. I think uh, we all have those experiences. And, um, uh, you know, Patty, even going back to Pittsburgh in last week, it's not Pittsburgh anymore either. <laughs> it was. There are a lot of changes. Fair enough. I, I went back for my high school reunion, and it was like, where all these old people come from? And I, then I looked in a mirror and I went, well, I'm probably one of them. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I find it's always amazing to uh, encounter new things, and I hope that I always will be able to.
0: And some things change like that, but then, like you were talking about with post-traumatic stress, some of those things stay the same because your experience after Vietnam is no different than... World War Two, or World War One, or you know, even farther back than that, if you go back to the Civil War or Revolutionary War. Yeah,
2: well, it's it's different. I would I would just say, not to correct you, but just to say, it's different in a lot of ways. In that, currently, the wars the wars that we fight today, Iraq, Afghanistan, what these men and women went through. Number one, there are more women in combat than we've ever had in our lives before, and very few people appreciate what they've added to the. The, the whole task, and um, our military does some amazing things. I think there are in over 100 countries today serving in different ways, and they bring back that whole global worldview rather than just one worldview, kind of much like World War II where people experienced four or five continuous years in different places. Today, it's not uncommon to meet somebody who's in an active unit who might do 10 or 15 deployments. Hmm. And that means it's not like Vietnam where you spend a year or two years. These folks were there ongoing or in different different places. They come back for four months, go back for four months, go back for a year, whatever. So it's a little bit different than that. And it's, I think, a little more difficult to adjust to what living in New Jersey or Hickory, North Carolina or Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it's it's a different. you come back and it's a different environment. It's a different feel, if that makes sense. Um, and you're a different person. In, in a way, that's probably the biggest key. Um, even if you don't have PTSD, you're still going to be a different person. You've experienced different things. You've experienced things that <clears throat> very few people in life have experienced. And you have a different outlook on what life is really all about, and also how short life is. And that's something that most people don't understand. Most people have a sense of entitlement that this is our life, I'm going to live to be this age, everything's okay, without realizing that it could end in a second.
1: It makes it a smaller world, too, when, you know, we are blessed and privileged to be Americans, but, hey, if you're stationed in South Korea or Germany, um, if you're going to be going to Ukraine for whatever peacekeeping and and war efforts you come back and have a better appreciation for what we have here but you also understand that there's so many more commonalities between people it doesn't matter of um, different cultures yes but we are all humans so i i appreciate what the service has done for many people who have come from smaller communities they go outside the country they come back and they see it is a small world and the you know i'm I remember the draft
2: when I was in, and um, I volunteered. I wasn't drafted. But if you look back at people who were required to do service, that was an important thing to a lot of people because you met people in Vietnam. You met people who were college graduates. You meet people who didn't get through high school. You met so many diverse people. You got to know a different brotherhood, a different sisterhood of different – Diverse, uh, inclusive people—that is so totally different in some ways today, in general society. In the military, it's still the same. You serve of a group of people, and forever and ever, you don't—you don't lose them. You might not see them for twenty years, ten years, or whatever, but you still know who they are, and they still know who you are.
1: And we need to remember their names. Yeah,
2: (laughs) you still remember their
1: names. I. We could go on forever. Ken, you're one of the, the more fascinating guests we've had, in addition to the poet in you, your career path, which really has touched many lives. And, and we thank you for not only your service, but what you've done for, for the medical community as well. Thank you. Um, I'd like to just kind of point out that the name of the book, again, is Our Paths and Lives. Um,
0: Available at com. Thank
1: you. you. You do that very well. Thank you. Um, and in addition, Ken has a few different writing events coming up, so I'd like to help public, uh, publicize that for him. Ken's going to be doing a book signing and reading um, October fourteenth, twenty 2023, just in case you're listening to this next year. Um, and that's going to be a reading at Tibrisa Books in Lenore, North Carolina. So we encourage you. October 14th, if you're around, from 11 to 3, he'll be at Tabriza Books. And in addition, for all of our Hickory and Catawba County folks, Ken is also going to be at the Hickory Patrick Beaver Memorial Library. He'll be doing a reading and signing on November 7th at 6 p.m. at the Patrick Beaver Library. So, again, come on out for that. And here's the last one that I thought was pretty interesting. November 11th. Um, from five to six, you'll be doing a poetry reading and signing at the Veterans Memorial Memorial Garden at the Stead Center in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, so again, these will all be on the description of this podcast, so that you can not only get his book but also hear about these activities if you hear this soon. Um, and so, just want to thank you so much for being our guest today, oh, Ken.
2: It's, it's been a privilege and it's an honor and. I uh, really want to thank uh, Red Hawk because I've carried these poems for a long time, and it's so wonderful to see them um, in a book and be able to share them with family and friends. And a couple of these poems about my family, so that even means more to me. I dedicated this to my um, granddaughter and grandson. and. That means so much to me, seeing as how they're the future for
1: all of us. So thank you. No problem. Um, Again, on behalf of Red Pub Pod, we want to thank you for listening. Um, Please make sure that you check out our website, again, redhawkpublications.com. We encourage you to like, share, and subscribe. And I think that's it. Richard, got anything?
0: Just one more thing. We have a rather tricky name to this podcast, Red Pub Pod. But could you say that one time for us?
2: Red pod pod. You oh, did gosh. it. You nailed, nailed it. That. Yeah, nailed it. I'm, um, I'm not sure I can say that real fast. But
0: <laughs> can you do it seven times real fast? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so.
1: <laughs> well, thank you, everyone.
0: Thank you. We appreciate you being a, a part of our podcast. Come check us out, all the 130-plus-some books that we have. But we're very proud and very honored that Ken Harbert is one of our authors, and we invite you to come and read more than uh, he was able to present today because there's so much more in this book, Our Paths in Life. Thanks. See ya.
2: Bye. Bye.
0: This has been
1: Red Hot Pod, Red Hot Pod, Red 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 Hot Pod,
0: a podcast red, pop, pod. from Red Hot Publications.
1: Red Hot Pod, Oh, you, did. you nailed it! Count yeah. yeah. yeah.